0: Well, good morning again and welcome again to St. Paul's. A special warm welcome if you're new or joining us online. Before I begin, I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I ask that you send your spirit now upon us. Flood this place so that all might be you and that by your word we would see your son, Jesus. We ask it in his name, amen. So Blessed are you if you're poor I don't want to be blasphemous or anything, but it's almost like Jesus didn't get Instagram at all. (laughs) Blessed are you if you're poor. Blessed are you if you're hungry. Blessed are you if you weep. Blessed are you when people hate you on my account. But woe to you if you're rich. Woe to you if you're well fed. Woe to you if you're laughing. Woe to you when everybody praises you. It's just a bad posting strategy. We're preaching our way through the early days of Jesus' mission. Jesus says his mission is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And he's done that so far by preaching, by casting out demons, and by healing sickness. And at this point in the story, his fame has spread far and wide. Today's story starts with Jesus going up on a mountain, and he prays all night, and whatever he and God talk about, come daybreak, he gathers his group of disciples, his students, and he picks 12 leaders from them, apostles, it means sent ones, they're the ones he sends out to carry his message. So you've got the apostles, and you've got the disciples, and when he comes down from the mountain, there's a third group that's biggest of all, the crowd. Now the crowd has come from all over because they want Jesus to heal them. They want to be free of evil spirits. And the crowd shows that Jesus' situation has become untenable, because the more famous Jesus gets, the more people are going to come wanting this healing, but that's not why he came. He didn't come to be a walking clinic. What we see in today's story from Luke is that Jesus' mission isn't just to improve the lives that we've already got. Jesus didn't come to take our lives as they are and make them a little less painful a click more meaningful. He came to proclaim the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God isn't a fresh coat of paint on an old world. God's kingdom is a conquest, and Jesus is the kingdom's one-man army. That's why today's story marks an inflection point. In today's story, Jesus is drawing a line between his disciples, the people who want to follow him, and the crowd, who are the people who want their headaches cured. He's drawing a line and he's putting the question to all of us, which side are you on? So Jesus comes off the mountain and Holy Spirit power is pouring out of him and everyone's pressing in because they want to be healed. They don't necessarily care about his mission, they just want his juice. The scene is insane. And in the midst of all of that, he looks up at his disciples and he says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you if you're hungry, mourning, or reviled on my account. You're blessed. That means fortunate, favored by God. Because whatever bad thing is happening to you now is going to be reversed in the kingdom. And so far, so good. Because who doesn't want life to be better for everyone? Blessed are the poor, great. But that's when it gets uncomfortable for some of us. Because he keeps going. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you if you're well-fed, laughing, well-regarded, because you're going to be hungry and weeping. When you read Bible stories, it is natural to try and find your place in them. And I know where I am in this story. I'm a disciple of Jesus, and I'm rich. I don't feel rich, but compared with the rest of humanity, I am fed, my life is good, and until this sermon, people generally say nice things about me. <laughs> so if I take Jesus seriously here, woe is me. I'm going to pause here because I imagine some of you are wondering why this woe at all. Like, we all get Jesus blessing people who have a hard life, but why does it have to be woe for people who are doing well? Isn't doing well the point? Don't we watch everybody to just be rich and happy? To understand what Jesus is about here, we have to get into three basic biblical categories that explain our reality. The creation, the world, and the kingdom. The first biblical ca- category is creation. God is the creator, everything that is, is creation, and the good God made a good creation, including us, which the Bible tells us were made in God's image and called very good. Our bodies, the earth, the air, the water, all this is creation and it's good. But we don't live in creation. We live in the world. That's the second biblical category, the world. And the world, biblically speaking, refers to what we've done with creation. What we've made out of it. What we've done with the raw goodness of what God created. And to be honest, from a biblical perspective, the world is mostly bad. Because we are broken by our sin. Which means we are broken by our selfishness and our lovelessness. And in our sin, we have taken a good creation and done terrible things with it and to it. Terrible things with each other and to each other. I realize I may be losing many of you here by the second. Like here's another dreary preacher railing on about how bad the world is. Like, What about all the good stuff in the world, Tyler? And that's true. There are so many good things. Our sin can't completely pave over the goodness of God's creation. Life is so beautiful. But the Christian conviction is that human goodness doesn't outweigh human evil, not by a long shot. And that can be hard to hear. It's hard to say because I have a pretty good life and my pretty good life makes me think that life itself is pretty good, but it is not. Think about what it means for a human being to flourish, not just get by, but flourish, really thrive to be fed and sheltered, to be free from illness of body or mind, to be unafraid, to be treated with dignity and care, to love and be loved. 7.8 billion people on the planet, how many check all those boxes? We live in a country with one of the highest material standards of living in human history, and our food bank lines are overflowing. On my way to church this morning, I passed people lying on the sidewalk in the rain. Let alone what's happening around the world. The newspaper is a litany of atrocity. Let alone what's happened throughout human history. Even here, people put on a good face, but I know you. I'm standing here, a broken, sinful man, talking to a broken, sinful church because I know, and you know, if we talked for five honest minutes, really honest, that we would get to the core of your life and something there is screaming with pain, fear, trauma, or alienation. And the fact that it is possible to carve out a good life, moments of pleasure in this life, a beautiful life, the fact that life is often bearable, even great, theologically speaking, does not mitigate, does not redeem the unmitigated tragedy of human existence. Hitler was a vegetarian, good for him, he's still burning. The world is not okay. The thing we've made out of God's good creation is not okay. God created a garden and we turned it into a death camp and we're all the inmates and guards. That's the world. And that's why the good news of the kingdom means woe to some. Because if this world, this world is treating me well, then maybe I'm doing it wrong. Like none of us looks at the Russian oligarch and be like, I bet you got that super yacht for being a generally awesome guy. (laughs) Imagine going into a lawless territory run by thieves and warlords. The people who do well in that system aren't the good guys, they're sin profiteers. And if the sin system is corrupt and I'm rich, then I'm complicit. Even if I'm not actively doing terrible things, I'm still benefiting from a crooked game. Theologically speaking, that's the world. In the operating system of the world, sin is a feature, not a bug. And that's why Jesus pronounces woe on the people who are profiting from the world. Because he knows what the world is. It is a tidal wave of blood and misery cresting with gold. And if the world is treating me nice, then I am doing something wrong. And in the midst of all this, this tinder that deserves to burn... Jesus arrives and says, there's a kingdom coming, and God wins in the end. And when the kingdom comes, blessed are you if you've been curb-stomped by the world because it was never supposed to be this way. And woe to you who have profited from the world because it was never supposed to be this way. That's the third category, the kingdom, the kingdom that Jesus was sent to proclaim. It's God's loving response to the world because despite it all, God loves us. And love looks like the overthrow of this world we've built, this monstrosity of collective self-harm that we call normal existence and daily pretend is okay. I want people to like my sermons because I am vain and proud and weak. But you shouldn't like this sermon. Woe to me if you like this sermon temptation to make Jesus say something he's not is almost overwhelming here. Maybe spiritualize it, Jesus is talking about being hungry in spirit. Politicize it like you're you're good as long as you vote and post the right way. It's all just so we can love Jesus and keep our stuff. I want to preach that sermon so bad, but I can't because it's not what he says. Jesus is talking about material reality, people with money and people without it, people with food and people without it, people done right by the world and people done wrong by it. But here's the thing, as hard as Jesus' words are, there's no finger wagging or guilt from him, and I hope you're not going to get any from me, because he's not saying you ought to do X, Y, and Z, he's just saying this is how it is. There's a kingdom coming, and it's not good news if the world pays your rent. You're on a train, headed for a tunnel. The train has two cars. First car is the happy car. There are velvet seats, good food, and the finest entertainment. It is not crowded. The other car is the sad car. There are no seats, there is no food. People are mostly crying. It is noisy, hot, loud, and packed. It is very difficult to move from the sad car to the happy car, and nobody in the happy car wants to go to the sad car and suddenly a voice comes from the intercom. Hello, everyone. This is your conductor, Jesus. You can see we are headed toward a tunnel. When we pass through the tunnel, the train cars will separate, the happy car will go into a volcano, and the, safe car will arrive sa- the, ha- the sad car will arrive safely at a station where there's good food and soft beds for everyone. Then the door between the engine and the happy car opens, Jesus steps through, he walks through the happy car, crosses into the sad car, goes to the very end of the train, and sits down with the people who have it the absolute worst. You're on a train headed for a tunnel. Nobody has ever seen what's on the other side, and nobody really knows what happens when you go into the dark. There are two cars. Which one do you choose? It comes down to how much you trust Jesus, doesn't it? Like, where's this guy getting his intel? because from where I sit, the sad car is obviously awful, but here's Jesus saying the happy car is doomed. On Tuesday, I was riding the TTC into work at rush hour. I found myself across from a woman. I will assume she was homeless. I don't have to assume she was poor. She had fracture boots on both feet, and I could see her socks rotting under her boots, and I could see her toes rotting under her socks. She was some degree of unconscious, sprawled across three three seats, rocking back and forth with the movement of the train and the smell of urine. Believe me when I say I am not a finicky person. I have lived in cities all my life. I was breathing through my mouth. It was almost enough to drive me from the train. And as I sat there trying not to be sick, I was thinking about this sermon. And I realized that if the Lord Jesus Christ himself boarded the car at Broadview Station and pointed at her and said, blessed is she and woe to you, I probably wouldn't have traded places with her. Me, comfortably clothed, fed, showered, old, spiced, and happy, I would have said no because surely, Lord, this is not what you want from me. Surely I can live the life keep the life I'm living and follow you and then the Holy Spirit who sometimes whispers but also sometimes puts a cue ball in a sock and hits you with it, pointed out to me that I wouldn't trade places with her but Jesus did. That's exactly what Jesus did. He gave up heaven for me with the abattoir stench of the world wafting off me. He came into the car of the world and took my rotten boots and socks and this dying flesh and he put them on. He says, follow me. And that's why we do, because he came for us. And he saw our piss and our poverty and took it for his own. And he took his birthright blessing and gave it to us. I don't think Jesus wants anyone To be hungry or poor or sad or excluded. I don't think Jesus wants you to make yourself those things to claim the blessing of the kingdom. I don't think Jesus wants spiritual masochists. But I believe this, there's a difference between applauding Jesus as he walks by like, I believe in that guy, there's my dude, and following him into the misery of the world. Jesus doesn't want us to suffer, he wants us to love. But real love in this damned world means suffering. It just does. Now love begins as a work of the heart. And that means I'm going to take my love of money, of pleasure, of happiness, of praise, and replace it with love of Jesus. And this love is going to have material consequences for my life. Because loving Jesus means knowing which side you're on. It means knowing whose side you're on and who you're beside so that if we follow Jesus, we're going to be poorer, like actually poorer, fewer zeros in our bank account, for the sake of the poor, because we're going to be with them. We're going to forego pleasures for the sake of those in pain, because we're going to be with them. We're going to grieve with everyone who grieves, no matter which side they're on, and that means that you will never stop weeping. And it means we're not going to care what people say about us as long as our Lord approves. Because Jesus says that's the way of blessing. And we believe Jesus.